You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. episode is about puppetry and we're going to talk to some puppeteers who I will get around to introducing in just a moment here uh, but first I want to mention something uh, one I hate that Mr. Bo Brown couldn't be on this one but October is very busy for everybody we both have families and work schedules and lots of events and stuff so we just couldn't quite get it together to record on this one so I will be talking a little bit about puppetry, the little bit that I know, plus uh, some stuff that I have written down. Um, and then we'll go straight into the interview, uh, which is a little shorter than we normally do, but it's guys who had just, guys and a lady who had just done a puppet show, and I didn't want to wear them out, you know? They've been spending an hour running around, holding their arms up in the air, uh, projecting their voices. I mean, it's, it's, it's strenuous work, you guys. It's not just standing up on stage, uh, doing bits. It's, it's tough work. And, and, you know, I was, I tried to be mindful of that and, uh, not, not wear these guys out. But we had a great interview. We, we got, I definitely feel like it's a great 30 minutes and, uh, we had fun and they were super nice people. But before I get to that, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in October, or what was going on in October. It's November now. Uh, and I want to mention to you that this episode is brought to you by the Center for Puppetry Arts. Hey, where I happen to see that puppet show. Uh, if, I don't know if you know this or not. It's very special that the center is located in Atlanta. It is the the uh it's a cornerstone of puppetry i mean it's a huge deal that it's here not every city has uh, anything devoted to puppetry let alone something on the scale of the center and the center has so much stuff in storage that they are now going to have the opportunity to bring out uh, in 1978, Kermit the Frog and Jim Henson cut the ribbon to open the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta. Since then, the center has inspired generations of children and adults through our performances, excuse me, their performances, not our performances, I'm not a puppeteer, uh, educational workshops and exhibitions. They're now in the midst of a transformative expansion that will allow them to touch even more lives through the art of puppetry. This expansion campaign, entitled Believe in Make-Believe, will dramatically change the look of the building. New museum galleries, a renovated entryway, and other upgrades to their existing spaces will enhance your experience at the center. Set to open in 2015, next year, the new museum space will feature expanded exhibit areas for both their global collection and the Jim Henson collection. That's the exciting part right there because they've got so much Henson stuff mothballed uh, that they just haven't had space for. And now we're going to get to see a lot of incredible stuff from the history of, of Jim Henson. Uh, 
Uh, these new exhibitions will be immersive and interactive, allowing guests of all ages to explore puppetry in unique ways, challenging preconceptions and giving a new appreciation of the global scope and universal power of the art form. Now, you guys know I've talked about this before. Uh, I, I very, I'm a very big proponent of puppetry. It's universal. Everybody grew up seeing puppetry in some form. Uh, and as you've gotten older, it's in movies, it's on television, it's places you may not even you know recognize it. Uh, one of the greatest panels I saw at Dragon Con was puppetry in the Buffyverse, where uh, we got to see all of the different uses of puppetry that you may not have even realized, but from from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was fascinating. And, you know, that kind of stuff's everywhere, man. But uh, as part of this project, they're also protecting and preserving hundreds of international and Henson treasures for future generations to enjoy and understand. Now, that's an important thing. Puppets deteriorate. They, they degrade over time, uh, much like the toys that I lost from my childhood that got stored up in my parents' attic. Uh, that stuff, you know, it gets warped. The softer plastic uh, or fabric pieces get worn or eaten or you know, whatever may happen to that kind of stuff. It, it's not permanent. It's not forever. So this stuff has to be restored and has to be taken care of. Uh, this expansion will bring the center's world-renowned collection and the largest collection of Henson's art to a wider audience and will continue to make the center a one-of-a-kind experience within the world of puppetry. Uh, and, and really just within the world at large, uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, I don't, don't limit it to puppetry. This place is is very, very special. You can't see this kind of stuff just anywhere. Uh, to complete this project, they need your help. Visit www.puppet.org backslash believe in make believe to become a partner in this exciting project. So here's the deal. Uh, you need to go to the center's website, which is puppet.org. Uh, from the front page, you can click on Contribute, and there are lots of different ways you can help out the Center for Puppetry Arts. You can become a member, uh, which is when you pay, you know, this is if, if you're local or you visit Atlanta a lot or whatever, and you pay a fee, and this gets you discounts on the shows. It gets you all kinds of perks for members. Um, it, it's a really neat deal where you've got lots of different levels of, of contributions uh, and, and different rewards. It's it's uh, Kickstarter before there was Kickstarter, I guess. Because, I mean, the center, you know, it, it needs grants. It needs donations. It's, it's how these sorts of things happen. Uh, so the, that's one thing you can do is uh, get a membership. Uh, you can also just straight up make a donation, which is very easy to do from the site. Uh, and then volunteering at the center. I mean, they, they need a staff. They need people to work down there like Mr. Bo Brown does. And uh, that's there's all kinds of different ways that you can help out, check out what the center does. But definitely go visit puppet.org, see what's going on. It's a worthwhile cause. Uh, I, I You know, I'm not a big, uh, you know, I believe in supporting the arts. But, you know, there there's, to me, there are different levels of it. And, and the center is something that is carrying on a tradition and they're preserving an important part of entertainment history, uh, really not even entertainment of communication history. Uh, it's something that I believe in, uh, definitely. So go check out puppet.org, poke around, see what interests you, uh, you know, donate a little something while you're there or become a member. If, if, like I said, if you're in Atlanta a lot, or if you're local, 
it's a great place to go. We already are planning on making another trip down there. We had a great time. Uh, we took Little Troublemaker, uh, who turned seven the day before we went. October 27th is his birthday. He is now seven years old, uh, and and every bit becoming a little man. It's quite frightening. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we had an awesome time. Every, all, all three of us thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, the staff was wonderful. The performance was wonderful. And the museum's incredible, man. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page, El Phantasmus, and check out the pictures. And, and I'll throw some up also on the site, needlessthingssite.com. Uh, go check out the article there. I'll, I'll throw some pictures of the center up in there as well. But I'm telling you, it, it's, it's really a cool place and something I definitely believe in. Uh, and, and would like, I, I can't wait to see this new wing. They're building a whole new wing and it's giant and it's going to be awesome. All this Henson stuff, so much stuff coming out of mothballs. Think about, you know, Labyrinth, the Dark Crystal, uh, just Muppet Show alone. Uh, so much to be excited about. So that's awesome. And that was uh, the second to last big event of October for me. The last big event of October was the Monster Bash. Uh, if you don't know, this was Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse's last year. Uh, you can hear more about that on the Shane Morton interview from a couple of weeks ago. And they wanted to go out with a bang, and boy, did they. Uh, I have now been to a movie-style Halloween party with bands and movies being played and DJs and huge rooms of people in costumes dancing and drinking and carousing and I've I've never I've never had a time like that. I've never been to a party like that. And the fact that I wasn't able to roll out of bed until three o'clock today uh is a testament to that. Eleven twenty last night, I was already lit and putting up pictures that I don't remember putting up on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Phantom Troublemaker. Uh, there, there's one with utter gibberish, complete gibberish uh, as a caption. I don't remember posting that. And it was only 11.20. But uh, we got to see a Misfits cover band. Uh, we got to see Bigfoot, which Bigfoot's always a good time to see. The Misfits cover band, I don't even know if they were good, but the singer was standing down in the audience and basically letting us sing all the songs. Uh, and I was singing songs that I don't know all the words to, but I think that's kind of punk rock, right? Uh, you know, I know some of them, obviously. I know Halloween. I know Brains, 138. But there are a lot of Misfits songs that, you know, maybe I don't know every single little word, uh, as Ash once said. But you you go anyway, because you're lit and you're wearing a mask, and who cares? But it, it was an amazing time. The Casket Creatures played, um, Gunpowder Gray uh, the Biters, which I, apparently I saw, but I don't remember seeing. So, you know, th there you go. That's the kind of good time it was. Uh, so I got up really, really late today, and me and the missus kind of had to alternate uh, feeling ill and hanging out with our son. So <laughs> we, uh, uh, you know, I missed a recording of Earth Station Who, which is disappointing, but it was the first part of a two-parter, so I'll, you know, be able to talk about it next week. And, uh, but Monster Bash, man, it was crazy. It was insane. I, I don't think there'll ever be another party like that thing was. Uh, I want to talk a little bit today, since I've got a little extra time for the intro. Uh, if you go back over the last month of Needless Things posts, 
or 31 Days of Halloween. I want you to go back and check out Beth and Richard's stuff, definitely, because they put up some really good content. Uh, Richard actually has a post that got lost in the shuffle, so that'll be going up this week, uh, the week of November the 3rd. And check that out. Matter of fact, it'll go up Thursday. But there's lots of good stuff. I talked about Tales from the Crypt, which is a show that I loved dearly when it was on the air and revisiting it. Some of it was better than I remembered. Some of it was worse than I remembered. But overall, it's it's a pretty amazing show that you nowadays you're never going to see that kind of talent all on one show ever again, especially not a show that's going to go for seven seasons. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I've also, because I didn't feel like watching Tales, because, man, I watched seven seasons of Tales from the Crypt in 30 days. That's a lot of Tales from the Crypt. But uh, I, I took a break and went back to Supernatural. I went back to the season with Dick Roman as the big villain, and we we stopped watching that because we got really sick of every season starting off with the brothers fighting and being bitchy to each other. And uh, it, it just it got old. So we stopped, and I went back and watched the episode with Felicia Day, the first one with her as the hacker. And it was really good. And Dick Roman is probably one of the best TV villains I've seen since the mayor on Buffy, who I think is the best TV villain of all time. Uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I'm glad I went back and gave Supernatural another chance because I finished off that season. I think that was season seven, maybe. And now uh, I've gone, I've moved on into the next season and there's a little bit of brother bitchiness again, but it's not quite as overstated and it's maybe a little more, uh, I, I don't know, story-wise it works a little better. Uh, but I'm digging it, man. I'm, I'm, it's always nice to return to an old favorite show. And of course, after, uh, now that we're out of October and I, I can ease up on horror stuff a little bit, although I, I will say this, I renewed my passion for horror this Halloween month. It's been a couple of years since I've really gotten into, you know, I always do 31 days of Halloween, but I, I haven't immersed myself quite like I did this year. I always intend to say I'm watching nothing but horror all month long. I'm going to write about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to live horror. But it kind of gets away from me because, you know, before I would have wrestling to watch or I would have, you know, there's just stuff would go on. But this year, I really, really made an effort to only watch horror-oriented stuff. I watched a ton of movies on Netflix. Uh, some of them were great. Some of them were shitty. Uh, I watched, like I said, Tales from the Crypt, big deal. I watched all the Halloween movies from that box set, which, by the way, that Halloween box set, the 15-disc Blu-ray set, grab up your old movies, take them to Movie Stop, and trade them in and get that box set. It's really awesome. I did a write-up of it last week. Uh, you can check them out on the site. It's really good. The producer's cut of... Part 6, which has always been my favorite of the franchise, is awesome. I love it. So check that out. Uh, just do it. Just trade stuff in. It's expensive, man. I'm not telling you to go spend a 100 and something dollars on a bunch of Blu-rays. I'm telling you to trade stuff in and knock that price down to something you can manage. Because that's, that's what I do. Our, our next purchase like that is a PS4. And, and believe me, I can't drop $400 on that thing, but... 
I'm, I'm selling some stuff on eBay. I'm going to trade in some old games and stuff and we're going to make it happen because I want the new WWE game. And of course, next year, the new Arkham game and little troublemaker Lego Batman three is coming out. And even though it's just a Lego game, man, I want it to look as good as it can possibly look because the, those games have earned our trust. So yeah, that's what's happening. So now it is time to once again say you can find the needless things podcast on itunes and on stitcher uh you can download it from needless things site.com and uh you know i i thank you guys for listening i i really appreciate it i i want to keep this thing going as long as i can i enjoy doing interviews i enjoy traveling out to locations and talking to people i think it goes a lot better i think the shane morton interview and the today's interview are some of the best ones I've done, and it's because I was sitting there face-to-face with people. I really love doing that. I want to do more of that. Uh, and there are a lot of local people that I can go and just talk to in that way. Uh, and I need to just get off my ass and make some contacts and do it. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to talk to Tim Price. And, and also, you know, hopefully, I'll be able to stop saying, uh because I'm noticing I'm doing it a ton in this intro, but I think it's because I didn't have anything planned out. I knew I was going to talk about the center stuff, but I didn't know what else was going to come up, so I'm I'm gathering my thoughts. So the last thing, I guess, I'm going to talk before we go into this interview, so it's it's uh, totally appropriate for puppetry, is Sons of Anarchy, right? Yeah, that leads into puppetry. I'm sure there's a lot of puppetry on that show. No? Okay. Uh, Sons of Anarchy. I got into in the middle of the fourth season and because of the way they handle releases I've, I've had to stagger out my watching of the seasons because one season I got into it halfway through and couldn't get caught up because they didn't have episodes on demand so I had to wait for it to be on Netflix then once it was on Netflix it was right before the next season started and that season I was like okay I gotta finish watching this one so I got halfway through and they weren't on demand either so this year, the same thing happened again, but I've recorded all the episodes from this, the final season, and now the last season's on Netflix, so I need to get on there, watch all those, and uh, then watch this last season, and I'll be done. But I bring it up because Sons of Anarchy is a fantastic show that I did not think would be a fantastic show. I think everybody probably had a similar experience with Sons where the first time you see Jax and his white sneakers, you're like, who is this pretty boy and how am I supposed to take him seriously as part of any kind of bike gang? Like, is he going to get gang raped and thrown out in the first episode? Because he looks like that guy that that would happen to. Uh, but you get to know him and you get to know his family. And the show is fantastic, man. The cast is incredible. One of the best I've seen on television. The stories have been great. I have not seen last season or any of this season, but the first seasons that I saw were just phenomenal the things moved right along I heard a lot of people didn't like the fourth season which I okay I think the fourth season was the one where they went to Ireland and that a lot of people don't like the one where they went to Ireland I thought it was great man I thought it broke up the show nicely I thought it was a nice change of pace and of atmosphere I, I thought it worked really well so I'm excited about Sons of Anarchy talk to me about Sons of Anarchy Send me an email at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook as LPhantasmus with a PH. Find me on Twitter as Phantom Troublemaker or the new Needless Things Twitter account, 
which is needless things, and then the little underline after things. So needless things underline or underscore or whatever you call it. So check that out. Send us some feedback. Send us some comments. We want to hear from you guys. I want to know what you're thinking. I don't care what it's about. I don't care if it's on topic. Uh, tell us if there's something you want us to talk about. Tell me who you want me to talk to. If you want me to have Jay and Ryan on the show to talk toys. If you want a new Masters of the Universe episode from Bo. Anything you guys want, believe me. We want your feedback. We want to hear from you. So uh, drop me a line. But for now, sit back. Relax and enjoy uh, this this really fun, interesting interview with the Frogtown Mountain Puppeteers. Uh, they are brother brothers and sister act. It's Brian and Eric Torbeck and Robin Erlinson, and we're going to talk about their 14 years of performing the Headless Horseman of Silly Hollow, which was an absolutely fantastic show. That you know, not only my my family enjoyed, but the whole theater were just loving it. I mean, there were there were kids, there were grown ups, there were grandparents. Everybody loved it. And uh, now I'm going to sit down with Robin and Brian and Eric, and we're going to talk about it. Enjoy. So the pacing of the show is the first thing I wanted to ask you guys about because everything, I mean, you, you're performing to kids with this show. Oh, yeah. And you've got to keep their attention. You've got to keep everything moving on. You've got to hit the jokes just right, which, I mean, they were almost constant. So it was, <laughs> how do you, how long does it take you guys to get that down, though? I mean, when you're when you're putting a show together like this, obviously you're conscious of that, but there have got to be things that end up getting cut or... You know the different segments that need to be put together a little differently. How, how does that process work? Yeah, well, actually, well, the original show for this uh, was about ten minutes longer, even. So we kind of realized, and we we originally wrote it for adults. I mean, of course, for kids too, like a family sure. audience. But mm-hmm. when we started to realize it and do, do more schools, there's that magic attention span of kind of forty five minutes or so. And right. This actually, goes fifty two minutes, I think. But yeah, we did we did start cutting stuff in the beginning, and then the pacing for I know, the pacing for a elementary school as opposed to a family audience when you have adults there is always usually different. So it's kind of getting used to feeling out that kind of audience type and you know, okay, I'll wait after this joke a little bit to let it to let it uh, ride out. To let it hit. Yeah. Or this right. one they'll never get, so I just skip right over <laughs> If any adults are out there, they can enjoy it silently. Right, right, right. And we've been doing this show for 14 years. Oh, my so, gosh. And we probably, yes, I haven't counted, but it's probably we've done it at least 400 times maybe about. So it's just kind of, it, it's still changing. Still after almost every show, we're like, you should say that different, or maybe we should cut that part. So it's like just always game. So, so as you're performing it, you kind of have a feel for how everything's going over, and you can kind of make little adjustments to timing and everything, just yeah. as you're yeah. going on the fly. Yeah, you can just get a sense of the audience. And every now and then you'll get surprised. With, you know, one joke will get a bigger laugh than normal. Um, 
But it's usually a joke that we've been thinking about yeah. cutting for a while. We're like, we really should get rid of that. And then just when we're about to cut it, they'll laugh at it. We're like, <laughs> oh, I guess we keep it in. The worst is when the opposite happens and you think it's going to get a big laugh and you're like, <laughs> and then it's <laughs> I'll just move along now. <laughs> and then there's that moment where you're like, apparently this isn't the right room. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as far as the craftsmanship on the puppets, I mean, how do you, you've, you've been doing it for 14 years. Uh, is there, like, are there replacement puppets? Do you, over time, do you have to fix certain parts? How, do, how does that go? Or do you just update puppets? Do you just think, you know, this can, this one could look a little different. Maybe we use a different guy here. How does that work? We replace them from time to time. Originally, we had just one Ichabod puppet. Mm hmm. And we actually had to do the costume change on him, so we had to slip his his arms and his arm rods through the jacket, and it it took a couple minutes. It was awkward. <laughs> yeah, it was really awkward. So after a few years, finally we we built a new Ichabod, and we built a second one as well, so we could just uh, you know s switch them out really quickly. Some of them get worn down over the years. Like I said, they're 14 years old, so usually a thumb will start to poke through one of their necks. Yeah. Right, right. To get That's repaired a... or replaced. And actually, these puppets, some of these went through a fire, so some of oh those had to get replaced. We've um, been rebuilding new ones out of fleece now, so which is a lot sturdier. But a lot of these are the originals, which it's amazing because they get beat on. Like, after the show, we'll go out and the kids beat on them, and <laughs> they've, they've held up remarkably well. But Well, that's uh, you guys were out there, and that was very cool. You're hanging out, letting the kids high-five the puppets and shake hands with them and everything. But yeah, that's what I was thinking as I was watching it. I was like, that's going to take a toll. <laughs> Where have you guys gone doing the show? I mean, you've, you've, you're from Maine, correct? Yeah. So, and you're, now you're down here in Atlanta. Where else have you worked? Well, we mostly do shows in Maine now. I had a baby a couple of years ago, so we don't travel as much as we used to. Gotcha. And so we do a lot of schools and, uh, and libraries, mm -hmm. um, just day trips all around Maine. I mean, actually, to get across Maine, it's like five hours, so some of them are long days. But um, but occasionally we take some bigger trips, like down here. We do shows in Pennsylvania, which is where we actually grew up. Okay. I think the farthest we've been is Arizona. There's a puppet theater out there. Oh, wow. We did some libraries there. We went out to Key West. Up to Canada. Well, it's interesting because this story, I mean, it, it originates in the Northeast, but everybody knows it. So, I mean, it is something that will play in Arizona just as well mm. as it does anywhere else. Uh, is this something that was particularly near and dear to you guys, or is it just something you saw as a great source of puppetry material? How, how did it? How did how did this one connect with you? Yeah, and this was our first show we put on all together as well. So uh, we'd done a few smaller puppet shows at that point in different groups, pairings of us. Mm -hmm. But for this, it really was just a random thing. I, we were, my brother and I were biking around Halloween time, and just kind of it was spooky out, windy, and we we're going under a bridge, and we. Started talking about the idea and it just kind of came to us about the switching the heads around so right. yeah from that we just built that show and it, it wasn't yeah we weren't big Sleepy Hollow fans or anything but just coincidentally happened to think of that and decided to do it for our first that's great. We and love now, Halloween. Yeah, we yeah. Love Halloween. And now, and 14 years later, it's wild. No, no. It's, it's just the, the the fact that it was just kind of a random, you know, oh, this is neat. Oh, and here's this idea to go to this. And now, 14 years later, you're, you're still, that's so great. Yeah. I was just going to say, it wasn't our job at that point at all. Mm -hmm. We had no idea we were going to become full-time puppeteers back then. We just sort of, we just did it for fun. And it was probably a couple years later 
uh, maybe five years after that that we started to get busier and realized we could quit our other jobs and do this oh, full time. Oh, that's such a nice thing. That's always nice to hear. I always love that. Like, <laughs> this creative thing that I enjoy doing is a career now. That's, that's a nice step. Yeah. How, did, how did you guys get started with puppetry? Uh, well, the first, we I had gone to college in Maine, and they happen to have a visiting artist teach puppetry one semester, mm-hmm. and so I took that just on a whim, and that sort of kind of planted the seed. Uh, we grew up originally in Pennsylvania where there was a Renaissance fair, mm-hmm. and we always wanted to work there, so after we started thinking about puppetry, uh, my brother and I put together a small show for the Renaissance fair, and that was kind of the, the beginning of it. We just, we actually, this is the original stage from that, it was just, these big boards weren't on it, so it was shorter, but we we made the, we didn't even know how to we hardly had any woodworking experience so we actually hot glued the stage together and then oh it fell gosh. apart and then we nailed it and it was pulling apart so then we screwed it together <laughs> so it's like it follows the history of our knowledge about even working with anything um, so yeah then from that um, my brother went to the Peace Corps the next year so he was gone so then Robin joined me to do it and uh, so that was kind of our how we all got into the puppetry world that's very cool how uh, what kind of t- well one well, from this stage, it looks like you guys could set up pretty much anywhere. What What is the setup time like from arrival to having it ready to perform? What What kind of time frame is that? We leave ourselves two hours to get. Oh, that's all. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> a little bit more if we're at a theater that has lighting that needs to be adjusted. Sure, sure. But yeah, for most venues, two hours, and it doesn't usually take us that whole time. That's just if we hit a. Snag. Right, right. And because we built it not knowing we're going to travel, I mean, we still could build this so much better for traveling, but yeah. it's kind of like the things that drive us the most nuts, we're like, okay, finally i got to change this and make it fold up so it fits better. But a lot of these are still, I mean, there's a lot of wasted time and setup <laughs> still. There's a lot of puppeteers that show up at a school that are just like, and they're ready to go. Yeah, all right, trunk or something. Kind of like one of those pop-open tents that just <laughs> yeah. ready to go. Yeah, we end up getting, we have a small bus, so we tour the back there was a, a wheelchair lift in there originally we tore that out and we can fit all of our gear in the back and then we, okay. we can ride up front so very cool now during the show as you're performing uh you because you i mean looking at this it's not a ton of space but on a stage to have the set that you've got you know the sleepy hollow set but it's got to get a little cramped back there are you guys how does that work? I mean, how do you get coordinated with each other? Because you've got two different levels here of uh, scenery that you're moving back and forth throughout the show, but like the sheep scene. <laughs> that's got to be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's probably the worst scene for us in the in the show because we have to keep, we're in a tight space. We keep circling around. And yeah, yeah. Keep, keep, keep coming out and occasionally we'll, we'll catch that one with an elbow or a knee or something. But usually it's not not too bad. Uh, we, that's the scene we dread. <laughs> I mean, after we have our lines memorized and all that, that's sort of the thing that takes the longest, is that kind of the coordinating of the movements and things mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, it is kind of just you learn where you can be without getting hit in the head. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that scene was amazing because it's, you know, it's funny enough when, you know, the first four sheep come out and then the next four come out and then they just I mean that that was really good I mean, that was I, I was sitting there thinking like surely they can't just keep circling like that and he did like the laugh the laugh was so worth it to keep going we're tempted to see how far we can push it and like 20 minutes later they're still coming out save that one for an adult show yeah. like where the attention span is there because I honestly think that like, like for a 
like puppet slam type environment, the audience would just die because <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, it was solid. We have to move our mics sometimes because we get so out of breath. Oh gosh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. The just the physical constitution of you guys having to be, you know, on your knees, arms up the whole time. Just, I mean, I guess you sort of adjust to it eventually, but I mean, that's got to be pretty rigorous challenge. And you guys are doing two shows a day when you do this, is that right? Yeah, sometimes yeah. three on the weekends. Oh my yeah. gosh! Honestly, the shows aren't as bad as I, we kind of. I mean, we know now to write shorter scenes <laughs> because you realize that. I mean, even if you've had your arm for a couple of minutes, if you just if you could put it down for just a few seconds, you can usually get a, a couple of minutes out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of keeping that in mind. I think Robin has the worst scene in this one where she's standing back there like this for I, I think longer than she preferred to be. Yeah, like that. especially yeah. when I was like seven months pregnant, that wasn't as. Oh gosh! <laughs> oh yeah, there's. <laughs> already a strain going there as it is. Um, so what what is, you've got all the puppets laid out back here. So this is during the show. This is how they are. And you've got them yeah. set up like in an order or, right, yeah, yeah I'm sure, I'm sure. Exactly, though, we do have, we have them in the order. Like I have mine in the order. I have to grab them. And, and, uh, and we have some puppets we keep and other props in the front there as well that we can grab. Okay. We, we have a checklist before the show that we go through just to make sure everything's in its position. So, uh, so don't scramble around looking for it in the show. What, uh, uh, oh, and then I noticed the, uh, Ricola. <laughs> yes. I, I do, uh, I announce for a wrestling promotion locally, so oh, I know all really about keeping, <laughs> yeah, I know all about keeping a supply of those on hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are, as far as puppetry goes, uh, what, what are some influences on you guys? Like, are there specific, uh, shows or, or movies or anything or specific puppeteers even that, that really, kind of have a style that you like, or have you kind of just done your own thing this whole time? Well, but pretty much Jim Henson was the original. Sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. we, we grew up watching that, so when we first started doing puppetry, that's what we had in mind for puppets as well, so that's why, I mean, you can definitely see the, yeah. his influence. So, I, I mean, the teacher that I had, Andrew Perry Alley was his name, and he, uh, he really had a really funny... Uh, sense of humor he put to his shows so I think that kind of encouraged us to try to do so all of our shows are pretty much comedies we try to to do um, but yeah I mean besides that that's pretty much the main influence I think with just Jim Henson and yeah. his work the, um, this this is your main show but you mentioned other shows what, what are the other kind of stuff have you done what are some other shows that you've you've done uh, besides Silly Hollow we do a we do a pirate show called Everybody Loves Pirates about about two little kids that are out looking for treasure and they're running to some pirates. We have a cowboy western show called Legend of the Banana Kid. <laughs> Just set out, in, set awesome. out, set out in the Wild West, and we didn't want to have guns in it, so but we wanted to maintain that sort of Wild West feel. So he has bananas instead of guns. <laughs> we got all these great. stunt bananas on like electric screwdrivers so they can spin around and flip around. And stuff. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful! Would you, do you would you guys tour with any of those? You think like in the way that you do these? I mean, oh, is that all of them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on any given, I mean, we all those shows have come down here at one time or another. Okay. And um, I mean, we'll do any of those three shows we travel with. We could do at any particular time, but it will if we do a longer. Uh, you know, run will take just right, right. Things. And we have a, our newest show now. It's been years since we've been working on it, but it's a dinosaur musical. And so we've been we're in 
rehearsal mode on that now. Trying, I like the dance scene of this. We're sort of the thing that's taking the longest is just coordinating. We have twelve songs in it that we wrote, and they're all just we're trying to make dances for all of them. So it's kind of we're like a dance studio right now. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I want, actually wanted to mention that too. The big dance scene in this one, where we learned that Ichabod, you know, is the the dancing machine. <laughs> the fact that not only. Your song selection was designed to play to a family audience. Everybody sitting in the crowd is is going to get, you know, one of those songs is going to tickle everybody in the crowd, <laughs> at least. But also to have, you know, these these simplistic puppets, but they're doing recognizable dances <laughs> of the era. Like the safety dance comes on and they're doing the, you know, the robotic 80s style dancing and then... Um, the Footloose, they're doing kind of the generic white people dance. Like, like it's, uh, to really get that much action out of them when there's no dialogue going on, like you get the characters. That was that was very well done. How, how long did that kind of stuff take for you guys to figure out? Or was it just, we know what this dance should look like and here's what you do with a puppet? Some of that stuff has, has evolved through the years, too. Where uh, The first few years, we actually had a few different songs in there, but then we, we replaced them and kind of updated the moves. And every now and then, we'll kind of we'll go through it, and we'll, we'll, send, uh, we'll send one of us out to kind of watch from the audience perspective so we can see which moves are working and, and playing well with the audience. Yeah, it is. It's funny how different... I mean, you can be up here doing this, and it looks so different from out front that, you, for, you know, for... There's some moves we change later. We hadn't because since we don't work with a director, just ourselves. There's some right. things we don't see, and then after we'll videotape it, and after a few years later, we'll realize that looks ridiculous. Or it's not how we thought it. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing to point out is you guys don't have the benefit of a monitor back here mm. to to sort of watch. Because I've in uh, my my biggest experience with puppetry has been at Dragon Con with the puppetry track that Bo uh, runs. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they have improv puppet improv shows there but you know when i've seen it they have a monitor to watch what they're doing and that was another thing i thought about i was like wow this is i I guess that's really not the norm i think that's more for the benefit of what's going on so you guys just with your movements and and like you said over time and and video review or whatever you may have Mm -hmm. have to kind of figure that stuff out you don't have the benefit of i know exactly what this looks like when i move this here yeah, that's yeah. that's that's got to be a totally different kind of instinct. It's, yeah, it kind of ends up being like muscle memory of you. You know, I know this feels how it's supposed to be. Right. But we still develop bad habits then, and over you know every so often we have to recheck to make sure you're not. You know, characters will get lower and lower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's got to be just with, with thinking about you know like having your arm up that whole time. Just the natural human instinct, I think, would be that, that yeah. you're gradually going to drop yeah. until you're like, oh, wait, this guy's face is halfway behind the, the, the front now. Just a hat. Yeah. <laughs> Correct my term. What what actually is the term for when you're performing behind? Uh, playboard, you mean? Playboard? Yeah, that's okay. What, oh, that's what they call that. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you, I noticed you've got notes up here. Yeah, some of those are from other shows, uh, but this is, <laughs> yeah. the, the the narration in this, uh, I do read like the narrator part, mm-hmm. uh, and then a lot of this stuff is, like we said, we're changing lines all the time, and if you've been doing a line for five or six years and then you change it, it's so hard to reset it, so we have to kind of hang those up. Even though we have them memorized, it's like a safety net. Right, right. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, and that's it, that's got to be an interesting thing in, in evolving something that you've been doing for over a decade. 
when you do change something, if it clicks back to the way it was before and then throws off the next beat, like that's that's got to be something interesting yeah, to deal yeah. with. I, every once in a while, an old line will resurface out of nowhere. Usually, if something you know, it's when something's kind of going a little wrong, and all of a sudden, well. We'll bring bring back an old line. It'll kind of throw the rest of us for a little loop. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The worst one I did was with that Van Tassel character. He used to brag about how many turkeys he could eat. I forget why, but Take we had, we had to. Uh, well, but then Van yeah. Tassel said he could eat a lot oh. of turkeys, and we <laughs> cut it. But after we hadn't done the show in a while, I suddenly started talking about turkeys out of nowhere. And I could see these guys looking at me. I mean, it took a stumbled a little bit and got back on track. Right, right. We don't do the turkey thing yeah. anymore. <laughs> what are they talking about? That's awesome. Um, and that's uh, the character development uh, because Von Tassel with, with his whole, hey, yo, I'm out of here, almost yeah, yeah, yeah. like Ted Turner type <laughs> character. Yeah. Did, is that, did he sort of start out that way, or is that something you figured out? Like, you know, the more kind of tycoony we make him, mm-hmm. the funnier it gets. Yeah, and we're still working on that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, no, that definitely has developed for him. But, yeah, and we're still trying to figure out his uh, – we want to add more to him, but we don't know what exactly. So if you have any ideas, let us know. <laughs> I definitely yeah, think sure. the the bit over the top, you know, tycoon yeah, guy yeah. like that was those little his popping you know back after he left and then popping back up for that. Hey! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. That's that's good beats and the kids all. That that was what was so great in watching this is everything just hit home so well. Like you knew when a joke was meant. To hit everybody in those chairs, and they did. I mean, those little laughs, just, ah, my son's sitting next to me. And, uh, like, I had a split second of, oh, that was like I was, uh, when the head fell off at the end, I was telling Bo, like, that was just brilliant. And it's so simple and obvious, but just for that final bow, for that thing to pop off, I had a split second to think, oh, this is going to kill. And then a second later, just, ah. <laughs> That was actually an accident when it first happened. Really? During a show, yeah. We'd been doing the show for a few years, and Eric accidentally, his finger just slipped, and the head fell off during the bow, and the kids went crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, we'll keep that. <laughs> Has any other stuff kind of accidentally come about like that? Kind of, oh, that's a thing that worked. Yeah, there has been. And I don't know if I can remember anything offhand. It's, sometimes it's kind of just subtle things, mm. but... uh uh, yeah, definitely. After I mean, it's amazing. After like Robin said, fourteen years, but then you'll realize you're going to say this a little differently, and suddenly it's so much better. Yeah, so. Well, and that's got to be part of what keeps you going after the fourteen years is is the evolution and is sort of learning with each show or you know every few shows. Like, oh, there there are little things that we can change and keep it a little fresher and get a little bigger laugh or whatever. Like, it's got. Like, the fact that it's sort of a work in progress has mm-hmm. got to keep you invested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would get pretty boring if we just never thought about anything right. to change. Because, yeah. yeah, during the show, we're always thinking about what's working and what's not working. It's actually dangerous, though, because when you get to know the show so well that you're, 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 you'll think of something mid-show. You're actually performing, you're, lip syn- or you're talking, and you're moving, and your brain is thinking, yeah, I should remember to tell Robin this after that this. <laughs> and you won't even think about the show, but you're on automatic pilot. Yeah, it's yeah. dangerous if you think about it too much and you can lose your place. So. Well, and there is so much going on with this performance because, you know, you're physically, you're moving yourself and the puppets around, sometimes more than one puppet, often more than one puppet, I guess. Uh, and then you've got the dialogue on top of that, and then you've got 
you know, obviously you're paying attention to the audience and keeping their reactions in mind. And then, like you just said, sort of making notes about what's <laughs> happening and what's going on. I mean, that that is every aspect of performance possible all mm. at the same time. I mean, that's that's something. Yeah, you guys are you guys really killed it. I got to okay. tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anything else you want to mention? Is there somewhere we can find you online to follow your shows or what you're doing? Yeah, well, online we have a, a, a website, frogtownpuppets.com. Okay. We have a Facebook, Facebook page. page. Yep. Okay. Frogtown Mountain yeah. Puppeteers. Uh, um, that's uh, the best way to follow us or stalk us personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for talking, you guys. Are there any last-minute things you want to throw out there? Any any puppet-specific stuff you'd want people to know about? Um, puppets no, come no. alive at night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can give you also, like a number of years ago, we tried to get into making DVDs. I'll, give, I'll send one with you, too. It's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we had an idea to do a series of DVDs about um, different environmental issues so we mm-hmm. made one using the characters from a lot of our shows teaching about recycling so yeah uh, we're working on getting a series of that going right now every time we do a show at a library or a school we just donate one to the library and school to sort of to, to them but that's our oh uh, awesome our, uh, the next uh, we're trying to get something like that going so. very cool yeah, yeah and I, I you know i think this puppetry is it's so Universal. It's it's something that anybody can appreciate because you immediately, you know, you have a, a sort of a recognizable format, uh, but you don't have, you know, everybody loves a puppet. Not everybody loves a person. Oh, yeah. Everybody yeah. loves a puppet. Yeah. And, you know, to, to get a message across, you know, you can be fun. You, you immediately have the entertaining nature of puppets. And once you hook people, especially kids in with that, you know, when you, if you can put a message in it yeah. too, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's really cool that you yeah, guys try, did this. We try not to be preachy at all, you know. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, most, it's, it's barely, edu- we call it educational-ish. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the best way though. If you, if yeah. you can get one subtle little point in, and that's it. Then you've done a great job because, yeah. you know, like like we started with the attention span is you've got to be very conscious of that. So yeah. You've got to be careful with with the the message stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome. It's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, I really yeah, appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for covering it. We appreciate. Oh, it. definitely had a great time. We I mean, we all everybody in the theater uh, absolutely enjoyed it. I, I I will tell you since you were up here hard at work. Everybody, everybody had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Wasn't that great? I, I wish every single one of you could see the the Headless Horseman of Silly Hollow because it was so much fun. Uh, I mean, you can tell just from talking to those guys. They were so sweet and nice and just really invested in, in entertainment and making sure everybody had a great time. Uh, but if you are local to Atlanta or will be in Atlanta, the show is playing through November 9th at the Center for Puppetry Arts. You can go to puppet.org and find your showtimes and buy your tickets. And also, while you're there, find out ways to help out the center. You know you want to do that. You want to help out one of the most important art forms, right? Because puppetry is everything. It's performance. It's uh, it's craftsmanship. Uh, it's every aspect of entertainment, from comedy to drama to everything in between. It's, it's important, man. And we want to keep the puppets alive. And especially want to keep those Henson puppets alive. Uh, they're going to do interactive stuff. They had this giant praying mantis puppet there. It was a rod puppet. And you could actually grab the rods and move this giant thing around. It was amazing. So I, I want more of that. And I want them to be able to do more of that. It's happening, but, but we definitely all need to chip in and help out. Uh, it's good stuff. 
Remember, you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher, and of course, at needlessthingssite.com. Send me your feedback, phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com, phantomtroublemaker or needlessthings underscore on Twitter, uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. Look at my silly pictures, uh, of which I put many of the center up during our visit there. Uh, just uh, send, drop us a line. Let us know what you want from the show. And whatever else, keep on listening. Next week, Jim Stacy. It's a really good interview, you guys. I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.